This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 698 of the Two Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick and Matt. It sounds like your boy, The Rock, forced Shazam out of a post-credit scene in Black Adam. I'm your head number two. My name is Matt Bum, and I'm not saying I have inside information about how it went down, but I like to picture it like maybe Levi came in and he was throwing some anti-vax stuff around and The Rock stepped in and was like, Someone the It out. doesn't matter what you think! <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, <laughs> in this episode, we're back to reviewing new comics from the last two Wednesdays, and after that, we'll tell you listeners about our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, we're going to give you a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra where the Cosmic Short Box has us examining Batman one bad day now that the series is over. It's all happening in this Shazamily bullying episode, and it starts with review time in the Ziggurat. We're back with a pile of 12 new comics from this and last week to review. There's got to be a less awkward sounding way to phrase yeah, that, but no. we'll workshop it. This stack has everything from ghost moms to forgetful Superman, but it all starts with one pissed off Klingon. Matt, start us off with your first review from last Wednesday. New comic book Wednesday, March 15th. We begin with Star Trek Defiant, number one from IDW. It's $4.99. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Angel Unzuda. I've won with Unzuda. Sure. Here's your solicit. A brand new series comes spinning directly out of the hit Star Trek comic book, Someone is Killing the Gods, but Benjamin Sisko's prophet's guided dealings of the higher cosmos have led him to forget about the very real casualties. A lower ground! The enemy is a man, not a god, and Worf of House Martok has put together his own crew aboard the USS Defiant in hopes of defeating the dangerous messiah behind this genocidal cult. The Dirty Dozen meets Star Trek in this new series from the creative mind of Chris Cantwell and drawn by Angel Unzeta. Star Trek Defiant is the first expansion of IDW's exciting new Star Trek initiative that started with the 400th issue and carries on into a bold new storytelling future. You're not a god. No, I'm not. Never claimed to be. Don't worry. This is Cantwell's first foray into Star Trek, but you can instantly tell he's been waiting to write in this universe for years now. Everything about the first issue is just tone perfect from the dialogue to the info dump communique pages and Unzanetta's art and attention to detail bring it all together. You can tell these guys studied, definitely. If you aren't getting enough of Worf on the latest Picard season, you're in luck because it looks like this creative team is going to run him through the ringer. And I love how <laughs> mad he is at Cisco right now. <laughs> IDW has done a fantastic job with their Star Trek line, but with this new Trek series and now with its first spinoff, it seems like all bets are just off and they're letting great creators tell great stories Featuring all your favorite characters, I am giving this a buy it. It was fun. Yeah, man, it's so good. It, I tell you what, though, it, like I'm starting to have trouble keeping the various Star Trek uh, timelines straight in my head. 
obviously this all takes place in the original Star Trek timeline, yeah, but it has to. From the perspective of shows like Picard, that show takes place, you know, 30 years after, you know, 20 plus years after the end of Deep Space Nine. But from the perspective of this series, it takes place only three years after the end of Deep Space Nine. Yep. And so Spock is still alive because it takes place before the J.J. Abrams 2009 reboot. Right. Where they introduced the new timeline. And so it's just like, OK, yeah, yeah like you need a flow chart. Uh, to keep track of this well, stuff. But, but I mean, they got plenty of years to fill in there. Hey, you know, you know what? I'm up to the challenge because my name is Joe Patrick right. and I love right. continuity. This is not like a Star Wars adventure where there's like, this one happens in the two weeks between that thing that <laughs> Boba Fett said. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, right, okay, yeah. settle down. Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I loved this. I I'm, I love Deep Space Nine and everything related to it. The Defiant is so cool. It's one of my favorite all-time yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, it's a Trek rad ship. ship. I love that ship. Worf is obviously one of the greatest Star Trek characters of all time. You can't go wrong. It's a huge buy it for me. Uh, I think it is interesting, not interesting, but fun that this creative team uh, also worked together on uh, Iron Man. Angel Unzanetto also drew a bunch of Campbell's Iron Man. Yes, he did. And it was good. went where no man has gone before this week superman <laughs> superman but he can't seem to remember shit about it yeah. in the pages of superman lost number one of 10 from dc comics it's 4.99 and i'm sorry i misspoke it wasn't this week it was last week we're working with a plot by christopher priest and carlo Pagulian. The art is by Pagulian and Jason Paz. Here's your solicit. Superman's Odyssey of Solitude. After Superman is called away on a routine Justice League mission, Lois Lane awakens to find a complete stranger standing in her living room. The Man of Steel, home much sooner than expected, reveals he has, in fact, been lost in space for 20 years. Nothing and no one seem familiar to him anymore. And the timeless bond between them has been severed. Or has it? Can love conquer all? Superman's 85th anniversary celebration continues with this all-new blockbuster 10-issue series from the creators of the Eisner-nominated Deathstroke series. They used the word series twice in that sentence, and my high school English teacher always taught us that it's bad form to use the same word multiple times in one sentence. Well, we've established that they fired all the copy editors that took care of. Yeah, it's true. Solicits, it's true. So. I, I think they got lost in the move to Burbank yeah. actually is, uh, is what I heard. It's a tough year. It's a recession, you know, I mean, it hasn't gotten yeah. here yet, but we're all going to act like it is here. So man, do I love seeing new work from Christopher priest? The legendary black Panther writer is one of my all time favorite creators consistently putting out great work without missing a beat over the years. Superman Lost number one is no exception. Priest and Pagulian use this issue to lay a strong foundation for the Maxi series using a mysterious threat from the stars as the inciting incident. This issue feels like it straddles the line between incontinuity and not, using an idealized version of characters that definitely don't match the current status quo, but also don't feel out of place. It's not unlike what you'd find in an animated series like Justice League Unlimited, which is no surprise because I'm pretty sure Christopher Priest wrote some episodes of Justice League Unlimited. I believe you were correct. 
Priest's script gives weight to the events that lead to Superman's disappearance, despite the lack of recognizable villains or even a named antagonist of any kind. However, the real strength of the issue is in the dialogue, which is pitch perfect, especially the scene with Lois, Clark, and Bruce Wayne following Superman's mysterious reappearance. The art by Pagulian and Paz is excellent, delivering larger-than-life action with DC's icons, as well as quiet, contemplative moments full of emotion. Superman Lost Number 1 is an excellent first chapter of an adventure for the Man of Steel that's both massive in scope and deeply personal. That's right. It's a twofer. It's a buy-it. Yeah, I really like the way that the priest wrote this. I really like the way the priest writes the Justice League, but you're right. This is not what's going on with the Justice League right now. So I don't know when it takes place. It's hard to tell. There's definitely some characters that are dressed differently than they normally have been. So just like The Rock says, maybe it doesn't matter when it takes place. It was a good story. I liked it. I thought the art was really good. I thought the little things that Unzanetta did, like when Clark and Lois are first at home and she's got curlers on she's not wearing lingerie like they would have drawn her in the 90s or something when she was at home with her hubby you know and i really like that batman knew something happened and is trying to very gently judge what is going on because this is superman and someone like that disappears and then reappears and they're acting strangely that's scary as hell and priest does a really nice job of like getting that across Almost with no dialogue, with Superman just standing there looking confused. So it's an interesting story. I want to see where this goes. Just don't think about when it takes place too hard, and you'll have a good time. I'm getting to buy it. I'm going to take a break from Superman and talk about some big, beefy ladies in the pages of Forged. Number one from Image, it's $4.99. It's written by Greg Rucka and Eric Troutman with art by Mike Henderson. I feel like we haven't heard from Troutman for a while i know it's he did true some, i knew he did some dynamite stuff but it's been a little bit here's your solicit series premiere trim size 8.375 inches by 10.875 inches i think they accidentally put that in there i do think that they meant to include that because this is an oversized physically oversized yeah but just say oversized <laughs> i mean i mean the solicit on. remember that the solicits are for retail i know so. In the 11th millennium of the rule of the Eternal Empress, a squad of planet-smashing super soldiers find their routine mission to be anything but. These are the Forged. They take no prisoners. Their creative team embarks upon an over-the-top pulp adventure of sex, violence, and sci-fi, inspired by Conan, heavy metal, and other comics you tried to hide from your parents. It's funny, because we're going to talk about another comic book that's very much in the same vein, very much space opera, and tries to get kind of sexy and does it in a weird way. <laughs> we'll do that later. <laughs> Greg Greco has been a favorite in the Ziggurat for some time now, and it's because he writes some of the best and most interesting, strong female characters in the comic business. Here he is reteaming with longtime partner Eric Troutman for a story that they said they've had building for years, and the universe that they fleshed out definitely feels like something they clocked in some hours working on. There's a Dune meets aliens kind of feel to the story, but instead of 
hyper macho Marines and space witches, the creative team sort of flipped the gender roles, making the, the biggest and baddest ladies that Rucka has written yet. <laughs> I love the take on sort of the fancy men running the space bureaucracy while genetically enhanced female super soldiers do the dirty work complete with powered armor suits. Mike Henderson, whose art Joe and I both really liked a nail biter, proves he can handle sci-fi no problem. His ship designs and his sense of scale give the book this sprawling space opera feel that they're going for. And we don't get into the hyperviolence yet, but you can see this comic wearing its heavy metal inspiration on its sleeves. And I am on board for more. This is a really great first issue. Giving it a buy it. I will say, we've talked about it before, these oversized comics, man. They, they, they drive me a little nuts. Like, they're neat, but you can't put them with anything else, you know? It's just, ugh. So, yeah, but I mean, you, you might know, have to get over that not, or read it digitally. That's all I'm saying. We're not living in a world where that's the only option. No, so. it's true. Uh, I love, like, the weird high-concept Warhammer meets, what's a thing where it's genetically engineered super soldiers? Is that still Warhammer? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Space like Marines are definitely, the, yeah. The, the ladies of Warhammer, yeah. right? <laughs> Space kind Marines of. are eight feet tall and they have two hearts and a bunch of extra organs. That they sure, okay, them. there you go. <laughs> so. And uh, but, but, you know, it's kind of like that where it's like this space theocracy and they fly around, the soldiers fly around in this oh, big time. gigantic city ships, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, it's very like Warhammer- adjacent to, in my mind knowing very little about warhammer but uh i thought this was fun i also agree with you i loved that you've got all of the military men that think they're in charge when clearly they are not right <laughs> they're just the officers uh, they wear fancy clothes right like this is a buy it from me i really enjoyed it uh the art is great mike henderson really good. Man, he's he's very very good and he's uh i really like this uh sci-fi stuff from him i don't think we're used to seeing this kind of genre. He hasn't done him. any, yeah, anything like this. It, it's, it looks pretty cool. Matt, you remember when we used to file comic books on a regular basis and we would bitch about uh, titles that didn't really make any sense or had terrible wording or back when like we were that, back you know? issue librarians? Sure, yeah, drove we were me back, nuts. yeah, back in our back <laughs> issue librarian. Uh, you know what makes that even worse than multiple volume numbers and number ones and and whatnot? Unnecessary punctuation marks in the middle of the words, <laughs> like a good old fashioned forward slash in your title, right? <laughs> I am talking about no one number one, or if you want to get pedantic about it, no slash one number one. From Image Comics, it's three ninety nine. Here's your, uh, pardon me. It's written by Ryan Higgins and Brian Bucciolato. The art is by Geraldo Borges. Here is your solicit. Ten months ago, the Richard Rowe murders shocked the city of Pittsburgh. In the months since, the killings have sparked a dangerous political movement, copycat killers, and a masked vigilante who's still determined to hold the powerful accountable. Not a symbol. Not a hero. They could be anyone. They're no one. Superstar writers, Kyle Higgins, Radiant Black, and Brian Bucciolato, Bucciolato, uh Chicken Devil. I don't, <laughs> that sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't remember it. And uh, I know him as like a colorist and, a, and an inker. He worked with Francis Manipal on The Flash and things like that. Yeah. And rising star artist, 
Geraldo or Geraldo Borges, who worked with Higgins on Nightwing in the New 52, bring you the extra length first chapter of a true crime superhero drama in its own corner of the massive verse. Plus, the oh, here's where things get real weird. <laughs> Plus, the story can <laughs> The story continues in Who Is No One, a monthly companion podcast starring Rachel Lee Cook, star of Josie and the Pussycats, and Patton Oswalt. I don't really need to explain who he is. Uh, no One is a Massive Verse series. That's the last sentence of the solicit. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We knew that already. So the podcast, I guess, is exploring who the character in the book is. It's like people like trying to put it together. Well, I, and I think that it's um, from what I am gathering from that and the back matter is that it is in character. So yeah. Rachel Lee Cook is playing yeah. the journalist in this, in the show or in the comic. I want to get the positive stuff out of the way first. Normally I talk about the art last because that's just how my brain works. I end with the thing I'm most fond of. The art in No One by Geraldo Borges is excellent. Its sensibilities are a cross between kind of like the gritty street-level realism of Michael Lark's Gotham City and the more fantastic elements found on the Gotham City rooftops in the pages of a title like Batman or, in his case, Nightwing. I'm also really impressed by the art design of the book itself with gigantic title and scene headings they're like very striking and i and i love that stark white just like blam great work there from letterer hassan otsmane alaho and designer michael i'm so sorry guys <laughs> designer michael basutil b-u-s-u-t-t-i-l Bus sure basutil sure basutil now, this is advertised as part of Higgins's massive verse, home to Radiance Black and Pink, among others. But there's nothing overtly linking this series to the others. But unfortunately, I still felt like I missed months or even years of previous stories after I finished this issue. Higgins and Buccellato deliver a story that refers to past events and character connections in a way that assumes the reader is already intimately familiar with them. But that is impossible because as far as I can tell, nothing about this story is carried over from another. It's incredibly confusing, but I was able to finally piece it all together, mostly, after finishing the issue and reading all of the Wikipedia-style back matter. If you have to read a Wikipedia summary to understand a story, I'm not sure you can call it successful. Damn, what is this, Star Wars? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> a little, uh, hey, like I'm all for nonlinear storytelling, and I get like in media res and all these storytelling concepts. It's like sometimes things just happen in the you start in the middle of a scene, and I get it. But I legit thought that like this was like no one was a character from Radiant Black or something, and and this was. But no, this is all just happening for the very first time in this issue. All of that said, there is an interesting story percolating here, and the book is slick, stylish, and beautifully drawn. I'm giving no one, number one, a skim it, and I'm hoping that now that I kind of have an idea of what's happening, the next issue will read a lot better. Yeah, I, I didn't read all the extra stuff that you did, and 
in hearing that there's like a podcast connected to this, I almost wonder if they made a decision to like leave out some stuff. So you have to listen to the podcast. Maybe. I don't know, man, which I don't think is a good decision. It's one thing if you want to like, okay, this will support it. And if you choose to go listen to that, you can get more enjoyment out of it. Fine. But I, I agree. Like, I felt like I walked in the middle, like I walked into the movie, maybe 45 minutes in. Right. right? This is not at the, not at the end. Yeah. It's not even at the halfway point. This doesn't feel like issue just like, 30. This maybe feels like issue three, you know, <laughs> or just far, just far enough in that you missed all of the character. interactions. Right. Yeah. And, and the initial moments of the plot. And it's confusing and it, and it feels like it's sort of done on purpose but i can't quite figure out why i think it is i think it is and i don't even think it's fair to call it non-linear because things happen in order it's not non-linear at all things (laughs) things happen in order it's just that i felt like something was missing when there wasn't anything yeah which makes me wonder if they literally are making this dependent on the podcast which i don't think is a great idea i'm gonna give it a skimming as well because it's a very good looking book it's and, not bad, right? There's they, nothing bad about no, it, they really. they put together a good mystery, and the character's armor looks cool and stuff. Like, this is neat. I just think it's, if this is an experiment where you got to do two things, then page one needs to say, do this other thing, or you're not going to know what's going on. It's got to be more explicit, and then maybe that would work. I totally agree. And now for the second of my Christopher Cantwell books this week, let's jump into <laughs> Hellcat. Number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Christopher Cantwell. He's a busy guy. With art by <laughs> Alex Linz. Here is your solicit. Leaping from the pages of Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man run, Hellcat is back. Patsy is back on the West Coast, living in a demon house, haunted by the ghost of her mother. When someone close to Patsy's inner circle is murdered, Hellcat becomes the prime suspect. Now Patsy must prove her innocence and evade both the police and the supernatural sleepwalkers. To add to the perils she faces, her demonic ex Damien Hellstrom shows up in an issue in the future, I guess, and that's never a good thing. <laughs> a supernatural superhero murder mystery. Like this one needed that on the cover where it's like Damien Hellstrom holding a sign that says, the honest Damien Hellstrom is not in this comic book. <laughs> you don't need to have read the recent Iron Man annual to follow the story here, but I will say it couldn't hurt. While it wasn't lost, the story comes off almost as a diary entry, opening with Patsy handcuffed to a chair by police, wondering if she killed somebody. Pair the sudden change in her story with a lot of flashbacks and some very cool but hyper-stylized art from Alex Linz, and you may kind of wonder where this story is taking place. Now, I love Linz's art. I think he's fantastic. But he does make Patsy look very young and skinny, even in the present day story where she's drawn with kind of like giant cat paws that gave her some style, but it also made her look juvenile. And when you're going back and forth between here's when she was a little girl and here she is now, and she kind of looks like a little girl in both. (laughs) It's a little, (laughs) it can get you a little disjointed, I guess. Campbell's story is definitely returning Patsy to her supernatural roots. And while Hellstrom doesn't show up in this first issue, I really like the sleepwalker angle. There's a great setup for a mystery that comes right out of Hellcat's past, and I like where it's going, but this does feel like a tone shift for the character Cantwell was writing in the pages of Iron Man. Now, that could be due to her revisiting her past and dealing with Ghost Mom and falling back on some bad habits, but I'm willing to stick around to find out. This just felt like I picked up issue 
too. But again, the creative team is playing with Patsy's jumbled memory, and they seem to be taking the readers along for the ride. By the time it's all over, I think I'll give this series a buy it. For now, I'm going to give it a skim it because I need to see a little more of what's going on before I go, okay, you got me. I'm in. I loved this. <laughs> I, I, first off, I love the art. I, I agree. I love it. Um, it's great. It's just very stylistic. It's well, sure. But I wasn't confused by like when it takes place. I understand her memories all jumbled. Uh, she is young, right? It, like canonically, she's not like, she's no Captain America or somebody that you would consider like in their forties or whatever. Yeah, she's, she's also not 16. No, but I would say that she is probably in her early thirties, maybe yeah. late twenties. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. And that's, and she was drawn like that in Iron Man, like in that. Yeah. And, and here she's just not really drawn. She's drawn very demure and very small. <laughs> in the- well, I, guess, I mean, I guess I, <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose I was, I'm a little more forgiving of that. Just chalking it up to artist, you know, stylistic choice or whatever. But I mean, it, it does get, weird when you line it up next to the flashbacks to her as a little kid. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. It's like, like uh, she has this little girl and now, now in modern day, oh, she still kind of looks like a little girl. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like for at, at first, like the very first shot of Hellcat in her costume yeah. past the first page. The first page she looks, you know, fine, but the first scene of her in her costume after the initial flashback, I thought for a second that it was Patsy as a girl in the Hellcat costume. Yeah, like she exactly. was having a vision or a, a hallucination or something. But it's it's not. She's an adult. She's been arrested. I thought this was great, though. Uh, the art is fantastic. I I read the Iron Man annual, or it may have been an Iron Man slash Hellcat annual. I forget. It does not matter. It was Iron Man Hellcat. Yes. Uh, there, but there was an annual tied to mm-hmm. uh, yeah Cantwell's Iron Man run. Where it was Patsy going to um, Cedarville, Centerville, Cedarville, Centerville, and inheriting the the house with the ghost of her dead mother and blah, 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 reuniting with her old friend and all that stuff. And so, like, I was primed for this already. I think this is great. It's a buy it from me. Now, this has some nonlinear storytelling in a way that makes more sense than no one did. Right. So. No, I, and I'll give you that. Like, <laughs> it, it becomes it because they tell you the rules. That's the thing. They come yeah. right out and Patsy says, okay, my memory's all messed up. What is going on? And we go, yeah. got it. And they never did that in no one. That's the issue. Nobody right. said, I get it. You're confused. This is why. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And, but you know what? That's the, la- that's the last I'll say because it's bad form to use one review to bag on another. Guy, right. So. If there's one thing I've learned over the years is that there ain't no party like a secret invasion party because a secret invasion party don't stop. Yeah, it goes on and on. It don't quit. It don't care. <laughs> like, nobody told it it's been over for years, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I am talking about secret invasion number five from Marvel. It's $3.99. It's written by Ryan North with art by Francesco Mobili. Here's your solicit. The scrolls have tightened their envious grasp on the world as their plan creeps toward its ultimate culmination. And with Maria Hill, Nick Fury, and Tony Stark off the board, all seems lost. The scrolls have nuclear codes, 
They've got people in positions of power, but for once they don't have the element of surprise. Twists, turns, shocking reveals, and a conclusion you won't want to miss. The invasion is going out with a bang. And again, I would argue that even after this ends, the the invasion is not actually ended. When I reviewed the first issue of Secret Invasion last year, I was pretty dismissive of it. I thought it was perfectly fine, but I was confused about the timing of it and the marketing behind it. Like, why is Marvel putting out a new Secret Invasion series that has nothing to do with the original more than a year before the MCU show hits Disney Plus? But I found myself sticking with it and ended up really enjoying Ryan North's story. This was really more of a Maria Hill solo tale showing her navigating her way through a coordinated attack from a hostile force completely cut off from her most trusted allies. This final installment does wrap things up a little too quickly, but Maria, Nick Fury Jr., and the Scrolls all show some excellent character growth, and North sets things up for future stories that seem like they'll synergize with the MCU's upcoming paradigms. There's even <laughs> the comic book equivalent of a credit cookie. If you, if you think about it, but, uh, that crap drives me nuts. The end. Oh no, I loved it. I Not loved it. The I, end. I, I, <laughs> like, okay. Just right, like well. the secret invasion, Joe, it ended. Either way, it goes on and on and it don't quit. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Mobilia's art is decent throughout. And I was especially impressed with his page layouts there were a couple of pages there that showed, you know, the scroll plot being fulfilled in the sidebars as the leader is explaining everything to Maria and Nick. And the panels on the sidebars were shaped like scrolls. And I thought that that was very cool. This particular secret invasion may prove to be kind of forgettable by the time the show comes out. And this issue is pretty abrupt as far as an ending to this particular story goes, but I did enjoy the run overall and I'm curious to see how this issue's events play out. I'm giving this a strong skim it. The marketing is dumb. Why are you? Yeah. Call it secret. If you're going to call it secret invasion, because you've got to, you've got to tie it into the show, put something else behind it, put a subtitle behind it. Yeah. Secret Invasion, Rise of the Scrolls, or, or what? I, as I don't know. Seen I'm on not, Disney Plus, Secret Invasion. Sure, Secret Invasion know? colon coming soon to a TV New Year. Right, like, right. Don't just, just don't, call it Secret Invasion. Yeah, we and already I had would, that. I would feel better about that too. And like, I look, I read the first issue, and then I read this fifth issue, and I honestly wasn't totally lost. They sum it up pretty well in this fifth issue. Yeah, the story is pretty good. I again, I think it's just a victim of its own marketing. Why it's happening? What is it? And it's yeah. one of those things like I I can't let go of that. And again, all you got to do is tell me what it is. Tell me what it is and I'll feel better. But I've spent, good God, 38 plus years of my life reading comic books with these rules. <laughs> and so maybe I'm just too old. And I just need to shut up and let it happen. I thought this was fine. I'm going to give it a skim in as well. I just don't get why it's happening now and why we're doing it again other than TV show. And if you are doing it because of TV show. Maybe wait till it's a little closer to the TV show. I don't know. That might uh, make more yeah, sense. I, mean, I don't know about all that. My philosophy on what you're saying is that I, I don't think it's fair. Personally, my personal take is that I don't think it's fair to blame 
marketing for anything. I, I think you have to judge a comic for what it is. I know. And I agree. And, and I think it looks good and it's well written. And I think if you had, I think if you had read all five, you'd be like, oh yeah, that was a nice Maybe. Fun little story about some scrolls that just can't let it go. Right. Because they do name drop the original secret invasion in yeah. this issue. And, and that's another thing that I don't understand. Okay. This takes place in that same Marvel universe then? In, in, in <laughs> the standard Marvel, it takes place in the 616 Marvel universe. Fair enough. And like, I, I guess just revisiting it i'm not real interested unless you sell it to me more maybe if i read all of it i would like it more i mean it's there's it's a perfectly good looking book it's fine yeah. i just don't get it uh, yeah I, I i think it's a tough one to judge because of the way they went about it new comic book wednesday march 22nd my first comic of this week goes to neighbors number one of five from boom studios 4.99 it's written by Jude Ellison S. Doyle. That's a lot of names. With art by Letizia Catanici. Here's your solicit. When Janet and Oliver Gowdy move into a quaint mountain town, their daughter Casey becomes part of a horrific chain of events, revealing that their neighbors are anything but what they seem. Soon, an unsettling old woman named Agnes Early fixates on Janet and Oliver's other daughter, two-year-old Isabel. It becomes clear that it's impossible to know who to trust or who is even still human. Steeped in Irish and English folklore and mythology, Jude Ellison S. Doyle, who worked on Maw, joins artist Letizia Catanici, who works on House of Slaughter, and colorist Alessandro Santoro, who works on Bloom, to tread new ground in changeling horror. A tale perfect for fans of Eat the Rich and the Nice. I don't know what the nice is. I know Eat the Rich, though. <laughs> I don't either. There's something about Letitia Catanici's pencils that take me right back to everything I loved about creepy DC Vertigo comics in the 90s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. While at first her lines can look very thin and characters sort of blocky, there's a style that she can bring to a scene that makes a creepy story downright disturbing. See her work on House of Slaughter for more evidence of that. But she's gone even more minimalist here with wonderfully off-putting results. The story sets up some familiar new neighbors with familial problems stumble into what looks to be witchcraft happening next door in the vein of movies like Hereditary or The Witch, and it plays off creepy art and limited dialogue very well. This looks to be a bit of a slow burn that ignites into full-blown horror later, but the first issue does a really nice job in creating paranoia and confusion that could be right out of current headlines or... Just the product of good old-fashioned black magic. It's hard to tell right now. <laughs> Either way, I am on board for more. I'm giving this a buy it. Oh, yeah. I, I thought this was great. The art is fantastic. This artist could have drawn an arc of Sandman, you know? If oh, you told me, yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, yeah, this person, or the dreaming, you know? Totally. Like, if, you know, if you want to go a little bit more modern. But slightly, ever so slightly more yeah. modern. But <laughs> modern. Not that much, not that much more modern. But, you know, like. Yeah, I would have I would have said, yeah, OK, I can see that because it fits right into that vein of like, it's just slightly off. It's just yeah. slightly off well, in a just, way that you just don't like and you can't explain why. Right. And she's not drawing like monsters or anything. She's like an old woman. Well, a little bit. Sitting but, in her front right, yard doing not. something that is odd, that just isn't right. <laughs> and it's good. This was really good. Very effective. Moody horror but like you said in a way that you know is not all like 
bleh, bleh. Right. You know, and right. like it's, it's they're building very, something. They're building a creepy world here. So yes, it's very methodical, very um, cerebral. You know, it's something that you're gonna have to like watch and and take in, and the and the fear builds over time. I loved it. It's a buy it. We all cried when Doctor Strange died, but hey, good news, everybody. The Doctor is back in Doctor Strange number one from Marvel Comics. Technically, he's he's been back for about, you know, four, yeah, five, couple, six months. A couple now, few months. But he was screwed up. Uh, they had to fix him. Yeah, yeah. It's $4.99. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Pasquale Ferry. Here's your solicit. Stephen Strange is back. Reunited with Clea and Wong. It's back to business as usual for the Sorcerer Supreme. Have your children fallen into a deep nightmare slumber? Are demonic refugees invading your home? Is your husband possessed by a satanic entity? Then call Dr. Strange. Join Jed McKay. You know him from Moon Knight and Black Cat. And Pasquale Ferry. You know him from Namor, Conquered Shores, Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow, Thor, and so many other wonderful things over the years. As they begin a new chapter in the life of the Master of the Mystic Arts. Doctor Strange has a new lease on life following his recent death and his wife's tenure as the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth. This is a much lighter, less arrogant, I guess. Uh, that might not be the uh, right word. He's still pretty arrogant. Just in a much better mood. <laughs> like he's friendly, you know, he's, yeah. This is a, like I said, a much lighter Steven than we're used to seeing in the past. He literally floats on the air almost everywhere he goes and he's now treating the Sanctum Sanctorum as a sort of clinic and acting like an actual doctor. Don't worry if you got attached to Cleo over the past year or so. She's front and center as well, acting as the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension, which I think is a fun little twist on that idea, and the Warlord of Manhattan. I don't know what that means, but I love that title. I think that's cool. That happened in the pages of Strange. It was really I'm good. sure it did. Yeah. I, I'm sure it did. It was good. They are a great pair, and their interactions are a ton of fun to read. But it isn't all fun and games. Strange has to deal with some tense extra dimensional politics and their ramifications don't bode well for the doc and the missus. Pasquale Ferry does a tremendous job on the art duties here, along with radiant colors by Matt Hollingsworth. And I'm so glad to see his work back on the stands on a regular basis. There's also a great backup story featuring Wong and the agents of Wand, W-A-N-D, which is basically the magic version of shield yeah. or sword. It's the organization tasked with protecting the earth from mystical threats. And it looks like it's going to dovetail with the main story nicely in the future. Now I fell behind during the early issues of the death of Dr. Strange. No surprise there happens to me all the time, but this first issue is a perfect jumping on point for this new chapter in Steve Strange's life. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, it's just great because they did something so simple. And that was like, ask the question, okay, what is Dr. Strange mission? Because I would argue in the last few years, it's been, I don't know, show up when the Avengers need someone to do something magic. And like he's been around and they've told some stories with him, but it's like he wasn't Sorcerer Supreme anymore. He, he was having trouble with his powers. He'd go into space to find, you know, space weapons. And now they're like, no, he's a doctor. He's going to do doctor stuff. And he's getting back to like dealing with magic bs yeah you got a problem it's like a perfect distillation of what he should be right and the funny thing is jed mckay 
who's also writing Moon Knight, who has mm-hmm. Moon Knight doing something similar. We're like, you know what Moon Knight does? He protects yeah, people of. from stuff that goes bump in the night. You come to him and he goes to beat up those werewolves. They make a joke about it in this comic, and it's great. <laughs> yes. Clea looks at him. She's like, didn't Moon Knight just do something simple? And he's like, I want a divorce. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, great. that was funny. I so it's like that. Jed McCabe like, poking fun at himself. I'm fine with it. I love that the doctor has a job again. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Oh, but real quick, though, speaking of guys that haven't missed a beat, Pasquale Ferry just gets better. Just getting better. That better. guy's art. That guy's art has and like never like he has only gotten better with age. And Ferry's also one of those guys where it looks like when he sits down, he went, he said to himself, all right, I'm going to take 40 percent of my lines out of my art and it's going to be even better. Right. <laughs> so I, it, there's nothing nothing is overdrawn. No. It's only what's needed. everything's really yeah. well thought out and just beautiful. But also still somehow very ornate. Yeah. I don't know how that works, but it's true. Matt, I know that we struggled with no one, but I was not more confused by any other comic this week than Order and Outrage number one. That's just because you don't attend enough of the space opera, Joe. I mean, if you went to more space operas, <laughs> okay, you would understand. Sure. Let's right? hear it. Let's hear it, smart guy. This is Order and Outrage number one from Dark Horse. It's $4.99. It's written by Jim Starlin. That Jim Starlin with art by Rags yeah. Morales. Here, that Rags Morales? That. Well, there's only one Rags Morales. Yeah. I mean. Oh. Here's your solicit. A space opera from comic legends, Jim Starlin, Rags Morales. Like they're letting you know right away. Space opera, bro. Get ready. I get it. Gene manipulation has always been solely for those who can afford the expensive prenatal treatments, income determined status, and more importantly, survival. If your genes have not been optimized, the order has no use for you. You are non-essential. Less than to be eliminated. Everything is geared to keeping the ship of state sailing along smoothly no matter the cost. But in every totalitarian system lies the seeds of rebellion, independence, and outrage! I see Starlin working here. He's setting up a rich ruling class complete with a cue and a fist that kind of looks like an erection for their symbol. It's clever. (laughs) It speaks to today's Republican Party openly rooting for the rich white Christians. The main working class characters are in a mixed race relationship, stuck in jobs they seem to hate without any upward mobility. But Starlin's story keeps jumping from past to present so violently that it's hard to get invested in anything that's going on. Morales is a favorite artist of mine whose highly detailed style made Jeff Johns Hawkman leap off the page. His style here is a little more classic i guess with this sort of like classic sci-fi heavy metal-esque coloring by Haley r brown there's panels that are absolutely gorgeous but there's others that almost kind of look unfinished to me the whole comic had a very late 80s 2000 ad look that i liked but also isn't what i would have guessed i would get from a rags morales comic plenty of male nudity too which is fine <laughs> just not, of, i'm just not know, sure it, what they were trying to do with it like it's one thing there's only one dong in this comic but you get a lot you of get it several big yeah several views of it which is yeah. yeah again it's not that improved but like when there's typically there's nudity in a book it's either doing one of two things it's cheesecake so we can yeah right or it's like saying this is an adult book and there's a love scene here or something and this is maybe this is what beefcake. we chose to do 
I mean, I Maybe guess. Maybe the ladies. I just don't or, see. Or those that appreciate it. But it's like a the dialogue beef. scene where dudes just walk around with this dong. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Space opera? Sure. Order and Outrage certainly sets up a sprawling story. But the flashbacks and jumps forward were just so herky-jerky that I never found myself fully invested in any of it. I can only give this a skim it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I wanted to actually be a little harder on it than I'm going to be because I I literally could not tell you. Like, I read this recently and I have no idea. Like, it's like... It's because the story pulls you so violently back and forth that it's like you never I, have a time to get your feet under you and be like, okay, got it. This is where we're at. Oh, that's why this character is doing that. It's just like... Okay, you know, like if I were telling you a story, like Joe, remember that time when I was five years old and I did that <laughs> thing, and then and then I was fifteen and I was doing this thing, and now I'm forty, like and maybe a little older than that, but when I was five, like okay, you got to slow down, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like Starlin was so focused on like establishing the universe or whatever that he didn't save any pages left to establish the plot. Yeah. Because I couldn't tell you what the plot is. No. I only know what the world is like. I mean, you can't and like the- That's certainly a choice. The overlying like rich people are jerks and the poor people are taking Sure, but that's more of a like, theme, okay. right? That's that's like a, th- that's like a theme, right. sure. But who am I rooting for here? That's, like, yeah, that's I, what I'm saying. Obviously, I'm rooting for the- I'm supposed to root for the oppressed, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, there just wasn't enough here to to hook me. I do agree with what you said about how this comic like really feels like a 1980s, right? Sci-fi like blockbuster kind of Very comic. much so. Yeah. Uh like from the from the from the dialogue obviously Starlin is an as from the old school so his work's going to feel like that. But also the lettering, the way uh, yeah. the pages are laid out like the word balloons, you know, the way that the um, the way that the title of the book appears on the title page, yeah, as this like huge order and outrage. Right, they went out of their like, way the multiple fonts to yeah. make this look very rebellion two thousand AD. Like, yeah, no yeah. question. And uh, it's a skim it for me. I just like I read it and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> But it is beautiful. I, I think the art is beautiful. I'm not even sure what you're talking about about the unfinished part. There were just some of it that looked really good, and then there were other panels where, like, he didn't draw that guy's face. <laughs> you know, mm, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's a skim it though. It, it's just it. You got to work too hard to to care about it, and if and that's kind of like a death sentence for a comic these days because who's gonna shell out right? Another four ninety nine for a comic book that they didn't care about the first time. Tune up your BMX bikes and get ready to pop some wheelies because it's time to get wicked in the ziggurat. Wicked. <laughs> Talking about we wicked, we wicked ones. Number one, I I keep saying that over and over again, and every time I say it, I think that can't possibly be the title. It's harder. It it's, it's harder to say than you think. It's we wicked ones. Number one from Scout Comics is four ninety nine. It's written by L.J. Dewey with art by Paolo Mel. Here's your solicit. After being orphaned in a mass witch burning orchestrated by the U.S. government, Celia Jordan grew up to be Washington, D.C.'s darkest secret. She now wreaks havoc as the city's resident witch and its most sought-after contract killer. 
When a politician hires her to kill a beloved and powerful superhero, Celia hesitates, but not for long. No one has been able to catch her yet. Why would they now? Featuring a breathtaking cover by world-renowned artist David Mack. I mean, you know, it's, I know it's good. Play. I don't you know, know if it's breathtaking, but it's good. <laughs> it's a good, it's a pretty good cover. Yeah. I, I, jokes aside, I was really impressed with the world building that Dewey and Mel managed to accomplish in just a single issue of this series. And the world they've built is really compelling. It could stand alongside other superhero universes. I don't mean like, you know what I mean? It's, it's comparative to sure, sure. other superhero universes, but we wicked ones shifts the focus away from the spectacle and onto a single sorceress working on the fringes, performing mystical assassinations for Washington's political elite. Dewey's excellent dialogue gives Celia a rich cultural and personal backstory, which makes her much more than just a contract killer. I also loved the way the creative team depicted Celia's magic here. There's no hand-waving or glowing beams. Her power requires planning and preparation and incantations and forethought. Now, I'm not familiar with Paolo Mel's work outside this, but his art is impressive. It displays some great expressiveness in the figure drawing, especially. There's a lot of really good body language in, in these pages. I didn't know anything about We Wicked Ones number one when I picked it for this week. I just Needed something to fill my list. And to be perfectly fair, it was the David Mack cover that made me pick it. There you go. But I really enjoyed what I've read so far. I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it. I like this too. And, and I thought, like you said, yeah, they developed this whole superhero world really gently without spelling anything out. They just sort of dropped in your lap and went, oh, okay, got it. Not a problem. I will say, I do think the design of the main character looked a little lifted from dark horse ghost uh, to me. Yep. It's very, ghost. <laughs> like it's it's very ghost like, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's close. So, I mean, like, yeah, I'm gonna knock a couple points off for that, but not a bad comic book at all. Well drawn. They set up a good world. I'll give it a buy it as well. Well, Joe, we're all out of one bad day comics. It seems we've come to the end with Batman. One bad day. Ra's al Ghul. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Ivan Rice. It's from DC. It's $7.99. Here is your solicit. Why won't Batman save the world? For centuries, Ra's al Ghul has wanted to save the Earth from the worst of humankind, and for centuries, he has failed. Recently, his greatest obstacle has been the Dark Knight detective, Batman. Rosh offered Batman a chance to be part of his new world order, but Batman refused. For years, their Cold War has raged, but Rosh will have no more. Rosh will remove Batman from the equation and save the world recreating it in his image and bringing the peace and prosperity all the good-hearted souls of this earth deserve. Don't miss this epic tragedy from the all-star creative team of Tom Taylor, who works on Nightwing and Superman, son of Kal-El and Deceased, and Ivan Rice, who worked on Detective Comics, Blackest Night. I mean, I guess, yeah, he did do those. He did a lot of stuff. <laughs> the last of the he's one... Done a, he's done a lot of Yeah, stuff, they just yeah. picked a couple, I guess. The last of the one bad day specials and one of the most epic to date. Now, the best thing the more successful One Bad Day issues did was not necessarily make us take the villain's side, but maybe just for a minute, make us understand the villain's motivation and leave us questioning Batman or even wondering if Batman might be just as bad sometimes. <laughs> 
Tom Taylor manages to do just that in the first four pages of his Rochelle Ghoul story. And with a penciler like Ivan Rice, who is just operating at the top of his game, it is hard to find a better creative team to make you wonder if Rochelle Ghoul is right. I got to say, after reading this comic, I set it down and I just went, okay, Ivan Rice is the best penciler in the business. <laughs> that guy is just insanely talented. I think Ivan Rice is definitely in the top 10 best. Easily. I think he's, I'm saying he's a top five guy. With clim- top five is uh, an argument could be made for top five. With climate change stories dominating the current headlines, it's hard not to root for Rosh as he executes the heads of industry and media that made profit off poisoning the planet and exposes Batman's almost religious zealotry for justice and nonviolence as a similar exercise in egomania in the process. Like the killing joke, Taylor and race examined the flaws in Batman's mission, but this time it's not the Joker that will escape Arkham to kill again, but it's a billionaire that never personally hurt anyone while doing what's best for profit while another species goes extinct and sea levels grow higher. This is another excellent addition to the one bad day one shots, and we'll begin to discuss all of them a little more in a bit, but I think I might be on Rosh's side with this one. I'm giving it a buy it. Uh, you texted me last night, or no, you texted me earlier when you, when you were reading this and you said, um, I'm eight pages into the Rachel Ghoul special and I'm already crying. <laughs> yeah. I go, You're four pages, oh boy. four pages in. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, and I got, and I got mine and I, and I read it and I was like, oh, I get it. I see what he's talking about. Exactly what he's talking about. And I finished the book. I couldn't believe how much i enjoyed this comic book yeah i I don't want to spoil anything and so i'm i'm gonna try very hard to say this next thing without even giving a hint but this is a story very similar to a lot of racial ghoul stories you've read before up to and including ivan rice getting his neil adams sexy shirtless sword fight in the desert moment oh yeah oh yeah And yet, it's also not. And that's where I'm going to end it. Because when it was over, I was like, I can't believe that that happened. (laughs) I can't believe that that happened. Yeah. It's no secret. I love Tom Taylor. I think Tom Taylor is probably my current favorite working writer. Or or at least right under Mark Wade. Like, they're right neck and neck. He's definitely up there for me. Yeah. The way he examined Raish's character... Uh, the care that he uh, used to discuss his history and and to show us a point of view beyond just like he's a genocidal madman. It, it was just like like you said, it's like at the end of it, you're like, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing or is it the wrong thing? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like we always have that argument about like, oh, OK, Batman's going to throw the Joker in Arkham and he's just going to escape again and kill more people. We're talking. Rochelle al Ghul is talking about a planet level threat, like and right. stopping. A right. pl- and Batman is not letting him stop this thing that will destroy humanity, <laughs> you know? Right. But also on, but the, the flip side of that is that murdering a 10th of the people on planet earth is always going to be the wrong thing. No matter what might not be because, a bad deal for earth, you know? I mean, yeah, the earth benefits maybe, but yeah. that's a bad road to go down, but this is not 
that story. This is a completely different story, and I loved it. It's a huge buy it for me. Our final review of the week is Exo Manowar Unconquered Number One from Valiant. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad. I'm not sure why. Uh, maybe there's another Michael Conrad. I'm not sure why it's not Becky K. Clunan. You know why don't we get to hear Becky's middle initial? She's not proud of it. She wanted I guess yeah, Becky maybe Cletus. It's, maybe it's just maybe it's real know. weird. Yeah, Becky Cletus Clunan. <laughs> Becky Cletus, <laughs> Cletus, Cletus Clunan. It's got art by Liam Sharp. His name is perfect the way it is. Oh, friend of the show, Liam Sharp. Yeah. Former Golden Beppo Award winner. Here's your solicit. Past, present, and future collide as Exo Manowar returns for its 30th anniversary in an unforgettable new series by superstar creator. I blah, blah, blah. I said all that. That promises to put the king back on his throne and chart a new course for Valiant's flagship series. Oh, hey, Valiant still publishes comics. <laughs> well, they put out at least, you know, two a month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do they, though? Uh, I don't know. Arik of Dacia and his sentient armor return for another run, and this one kicks off like a hyper-violent fever dream. Clunan and Conrad do a fantastic job reestablishing Exo's premise for readers that may not have read one of the previous 27 volumes. I don't know how many there have been. There's been a lot of them. They definitely restarted it a lot in the past many five times. years. While still setting the stage for the story ahead, Arik hasn't lost any of his Visigoth edge over the past 30 years, and his new enemies come with some very old baggage. Liam Sharp's art defies description. Yeah. The only word I can summon is transcendent. It is. It's. I don't like Matt likes to say. Oh, yeah. You know, eat some mushrooms and turn on some prog rock and, and read this comic. It's like, I don't think that's a good idea, because I think if you took mushrooms and then tried to read this comic. Something would happen to your your brain and your body something you don't know anything about mushrooms it'd be perfect for this (laughs) no i i don't know man i think it would be too much exo man of war unconquered number one is hands down the most metal comic i've read in a very long time i cannot wait for the next issue huge buy it for me this i loved it yeah like liam sharp's doing this thing where at times it's kind of bill sinkevich where it's like a little messy and odd because something's supposed to be looking weird or moving really fast and then the next panel it's just straight up simon bisley just veins blood teeth you know but then the, ne- but then the next so panel it's like cool <laughs> beautiful and glowing yeah. and yeah ethereal. and it's just like yeah this, this comic is just gorgeous how how liam how do you do that it's i don't know death metal sci-fi and it's so hardcore i love it <laughs> this is great i'm a huge buy it oh and the one uh, the biggest selling point uh i think for people that may not have read any of the other series it's got everything you need i already kind of hinted at it earlier but everything you need to know about exo manowar is right here yeah don't worry about it. Yeah, just dig in. Just look at the pictures and yeah. dig in. And then you don't even need to know. You don't even need to know anything about the rest of the Valiant universe. Yep, you just need to change your shirt afterwards because of all the blood. But you know, Ugh. maybe your pants, depending.
We got links in our show notes for more details on these comics that we just discussed. But now it's time to pick the one comic that sprayed blood directly into our mouths. Joe Patrick, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN private collection? I was going to give it to Exo Manowar. Should I give it to Exo Manowar? Sure. Give it to Exo Manowar. Should I give it to book was should I give it to or should I give it to Rachel Gould? I mean, what do you what do you feel? You know, we've given to a lot of one bad day comics, so I don't know. Go with your heart. Okay. I think that they are tied in the popular vote, but I think that Exo Manowar won the electoral college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because uh, I, while I really, really loved that one bad day issue, I'm giving a little bit extra credit to Exo Manowar sure, for sure. being, for like welcoming me back to this character, this series, and this company as a long time lapsed valiant reader. That's perfectly legit. I mean, that's what and that's what a first I was issue like is supposed blown to do, away. Right? I was blown away. It did it did the job. That's exactly what a first issue is supposed to do. Whether it's the fifth time you've revisited this character or you've never visited this right. character. Grab and you, you know what? by the shirt and be like, get ready. It's going to be messy, you know? <laughs> and you wow. know the next new Valiant comic uh, after this one might not trip my trigger, but that's nothing to do with this book. Is no. that I I just came into this as somebody that left Valiant behind long ago and sure. was immediately reminded of why Exo Manowar kicks so much ass. So I, I was in the same boat where it was one of the two books and it's, I was going to say, well, you know, when you have a book with like Tom Taylor and Ivan Rice on, of course I know I'm going to like it, but like, well, you know, you put Becky Clune and Liam Sharp in a book. I'm really going to like that too. So <laughs> I, but I do think, yeah, Exo Manowar was the one where I would, I didn't really know how much to expect. I thought, like, eh, here comes another real pretty mess from Valiant. And they nailed this one. I'm going to give it to Exo Manowar as well. It was kick yeah. ass. Yep. Agreed. It's time to check in with the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to fill out our March Magic brackets, where we're picking the winners of Marvel's upcoming Contest of Chaos and trying to settle on a champion. White Fox is currently 125 to 1 to win, but I think she's grossly underrated. Matt, who you got? You know, Joe, Ghost Spider seems to have the easiest path to the Final Four, if you ask me, with losers like Wolverine and Venom in her way. So I'm not real worried here. I'm going Ghost Spider all the way. It's all about who really masters the fundamentals, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, chest passing and layups, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a safe bet, buddy. Why don't you tell these nerds about your must-read pick for next Wednesday, March 29th? My pick is finally here. It's Waller versus Wildstorm. Number one, it was supposed to come out last summer, but stuff happens. This is from DC. It's $5.99. It's written by Eric Narcissi and Spencer Ackerman with art by Eric Battle. Here is your solicit. In the early 1980s, as the Cold War stubbornly refuses to thaw, a new battle heats up for the soul of the intelligence agency, Checkmate. As the agency's superheroic public face, Jackson King, a.k.a. the Armored Battalion, former leader of Stormwatch and the symbol of American might, has long suspected that Adeline Kane is up to dirty tricks overseas, engineering horrors that betray everything he believes about service to one's country. I assume this must be one's country. <laughs> but King doesn't know that Kane has a clever new ally, an ambitious young woman named Amanda Waller. 
She has her own ideas about how metahumans can serve their country and honor dignity and long lives do not factor into them. National security reporter Spencer Ackerman, who worked for the Daily Beast and Reign of Terror, comics and video game writer Evan Narcissi, who worked on Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and Gotham Knights, and veteran artist Eric Battle, who worked on Aquaman and Cobalt with a K. The ga- Gotham Knights, the game, not the show. I think it should be uh, pointed out so that oh, okay. uh, Evan is not penalized for writing that shit All show. Right. Well, I hope Evan didn't come up with the magic powers of Red Hood in the game because that's stupid. But the whole, this whole team celebrates Wildstorm's legacy of espionage-flavored superhero morality plays, pitting Stormwatch against the deadliest people in the DCU, including Deathstroke himself! Yeah, Boy, so that's a long solicit. It's a wow. long one. It's a long one. But this one takes place in the 80s, so, so it's a period piece, so they can really do whatever they want with it, aside from, I guess, killing Deathstroke or Amanda Waller, <laughs> you know? We were a little bummed that Jorge Fornes isn't drawing it, but this still looks fun. I agree. I think this sounds like fun and I was excited for it from the moment they first announced it. I love a a good, like kind of 1980s, like military adventure, spy espionage kind of thing. You know, like I feel like you could play the A team theme while you're reading this. And I don't know these creators very well, but I love the concept and I think this is going to be a lot of fun. My pick for next week is. The Unstoppable Doom Patrol, number one. It's also from DC. It's $3.99. It's written by Dennis Culver with art by Chris Burnham. Here is your solicit. The world's strangest heroes are back in the DC universe. After the events of Lazarus Planet, more people than ever have active metagenes. Most of these new metahumans have become misfits, shunned and imprisoned by a fearful society. They are hidden away in the dark lost to a system that only sees them as weapons or guinea pigs, ticking time bombs that can only be defused by the unstoppable Doom Patrol. Robot Man, Elastia Woman, and Negative Man are joined by their brand new teammates, Beast Girl and Degenerate, and led by Crazy Jane's mysterious new alter, the Chief. What? On a mission of saving the world by saving the monsters. I'm ready to go on record as saying that this will probably be the best thing to come out of Lazarus Planet. <laughs> probably, yeah. But man, um, Chris Burnham. Lazarus, I didn't enjoy Lazarus no, Planet like I was no, hoping to. Not really, but I do love Chris Burnham, and I will. Pick I love up Chris Burnham as he's well. Done. I don't think I know Dennis Culver. Um, we know I don't that name. Recognize we recognize his name. We've definitely. Oh, let me. I know. I, I think I'm that. confusing him with another writer. I think I. I think I'm confusing him with like Ben Percy or somebody like that. Yeah. Oh, he co-wrote um he co-wrote Justice League Incarnate. Okay. Which I did really enjoy. Oh, and Edison Rex. I love Edison Rex. Yeah, Edison Rex was good. Man, that's a that's a throwback. Yeah. So yeah, Dennis Culver. I'm excited to check it out. Crone, I liked a lot as well. Um, Chris Burnham, of course. I love that guy. Super he, we we've we love we've him. known him for years now. Uh Batman and Robin. Uh, die, 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 among many other things. <laughs> I love that. Book. But yeah, fun stuff. The THN trade of the week for March 22nd goes to Mr. Mammoth, the hardcover from Dark Horse Flux House. It's $29.99. It's written by Matt Kent with art by Jean-Denis Pendant. 
<laughs> I'll go with that. Here's your solicit. Mr. Mammoth is the world's greatest detective and the kind of person you don't forget. Being a seven foot tall pacifist who's covered head to toe with an impressive collection of horrific scars makes quite the impression, but he might be losing his edge. He can't seem to solve his latest case and he's distracted with a strange obsession with a soap opera actress who doesn't even know he exists. His new case holds clues that might finally unlock the secret of a traumatic childhood. The question is, is he solving a crime or planning one? Mr. Mammoth is the first ever original graphic novel from Matt Kent's all-new imprint, Flux House, which features crime, science fiction, and humor stories all told in startling and untraditional ways. For Mr. Mammoth, Kent is joined by internationally acclaimed artist Jean-Denis Pendant, who's making his U.S. debut. All right. I think I think it's pronounced Pendanks. <laughs> yeah, Pendanks. No, I mean, it's Matt Kent. The art for this looks absolutely stunning as well. And yeah. I trust Matt Kent, period. I just, uh, I'm in. He's one of those guys where if Matt Kent's putting something out. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Sign me up. Just, Let's go. Just like, just like Jeff Lemire. Yeah. You have that. Uh, like I will, I will read a new number one yep. from either one of those dudes, uh, an original graphic novel. Yes. Give it to me. We're going to hear more about Mr. Mammoth next month when we examine it during our take a look. It's in a book club segment. So if you're a huge Kent fan, you're looking forward to this one. Hit us up on our Discord. Let us know. Maybe you can read it with us, and we'll talk about it on the show. Now that you've heard our picks, we want to know what you kids. Now that you have heard our picks, we know what you kids are reading. Hit us up on our Discord and the new comics channel, and let us know what we should be reading too. And let us know if you pick these picks up, and you're like, uh, these weren't very good. I'm gonna come over and scar you horrifically for uh, so you look no, like no. a freak for I, the rest I, of your life. I don't want to know that. You know, like I, I want to see it coming. I would like to see it coming personally. <laughs> Well, that's why Matt's address is on all of our paperwork, not mine. Should have opened a P.O. box, sucker. We got. I opened a ziggurat underground. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get out of here, it's time for a sneak peek of our THN Extra. When you support THN on Patreon for as little as $1 per month, you get access to all kinds of extra content just like this. You heard our review for the final One Bad Day chapter mere minutes ago, and now... The Cosmic Shortbox demands we weigh and measure each of these one-shots to decide if the event was a success and, of course, which villain got the best OBD treatment. Joe, let's start at the beginning here, and we'll just sort of run through them real quick and just reset what happened. The event kicked off with Riddler, One Bad Day by Tom King and Mitch Gerrids. Uh, in it, Tom King... Basically, you know, kind of reworked Riddler into a Joker-esque uh, psychopath. Yeah. Like you do. Pretty much. Went full seven with him, basically. He gave him the killing joke treatment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After that, we got the Two-Face One Bad Day. Was, this was by Mariko Tamaki and Javier Fernandez. Jordi Belair colored this one. Two-Face, turns out, might not be as rehabbed as we thought he was. He's a good guy when it starts. Everything's going fine. But, uh, yeah, Two-Face is crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of knew that one was going to come around, you know? Yeah, I mean, it always does. Yeah. Every time Two-Face is cured, he inevitably yeah. returns to being Two-Face. Come on. Number three on the list was The Penguin 
by John Ridley and artist Giuseppe Camancoli in the Penguins One Bad Day. Uh, a retired and useless feeling penguin, also a bit older, makes one more run at the Gotham underworld to regain his stolen empire. Yeah, he got replaced by the Umbrella Man, so it's good to know that all you need to rule the Gotham Underground is a parasol, basically. <laughs> I love there just has to be, like, kind of a fat guy with an umbrella that runs things around here, okay? I thought the <laughs> Umbrella Man was, like, a big old tough guy. I thought these things all kind of blend sure. together. <laughs> After that, we got to see Mr. Freeze's Bad Day by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Scalera and Dave Stewart. I mean, we don't need to go into that one too much. We both gave it like our single issue of the year. It was incredible. And it basically revealed that Mr. Freeze's marriage wasn't quite as uh, sweet as he's been saying it was all these years. Next up was Bane by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter and Tomu More. In Bane, One Bad Day. Old Man Bane teams up with Old Man Wayne to destroy Venom forever and may just redeem himself. I liked Old Man Batman because <laughs> you get two man. Well, but there. like Wayne and Bane rhyme, though. I old know, Man Bane and Old Man Wayne. Yeah, but Old Man Batman, it's kind of fun. <laughs> Look, man, I'm a poet. You can't cage the heart of a poet. All right. All right. After that, we got to see Catwoman's One Bad Day. And by now, I would kind of say, like, you know, Catwoman, definitely not a villain. Absolutely not a villain. <laughs> Uh, like you can't do this anymore. So this was G Willow Wilson with art by Jamie McKelvey. It was kind of a slice of life story about Catwoman stealing back an, a brooch that was wrongfully taken from her family and discovering a new enemy in the process. And I got to say, Jamie McKelvey draws a very sexy Catwoman. I am done with the armpit cutouts. They make hate it. no sense. And I they hate it. Stupid. <laughs> I agree. 100% agree. Following Catwoman came Clayface by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, Matt's favorite tag team comic writers at the moment. An artist, Harmonico. In Clayface, Basil Carlo tries to make it big in Hollywood, but finds out he can't escape his inner monster. Go figure, you know. And finally, I mean, also, oh. also his outer monster, but because yeah. he is a terrifying, he is a great big clay monster. Yeah. And finally, you just heard us talk about it. Ra's al Ghul, the demon's head, gets real with his eco-terrorism plan and exposes Batman for the hypocrite that he is for not saving the planet. Joe, or is he? I don't know. I still don't I, I, know. I still, that's the beautiful part of all these. And, and we're going to say, Al Ghul's a dog person. How bad can he be? <laughs> well, he's a wolf person. So there's it's that. <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> One of the things that most of these stories did was give us a sympathetic view of these villains. Like it was one bad except for the Riddler. That's where I was going to go with this. The only one that we don't see that with is basically the Riddler. Like even Catwoman, neither of us really cared for that issue. It was fine, but like forgettable. It didn't really delve into anything new with Catwoman. Everything else, every one of these other books, whether it was like modern day set in the past or set in the far future, definitely did something new for these characters, like set up right, yeah, some exactly new right. status quo thing. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it 
for teaching. 698 by my math. We should hit 700 sometime in the next eight months, Joe Patrick. Next yeah, week. Yeah, that sounds right. The Cosmic Longbox returns. So we're going to be talking about back issues based on a theme. In the meantime, check out our nerd news show hitting your feed on Mondays and join us. For the THN cover to cover gang hang, it's where we get together with you cats and rap. We do it from 11 until noon central time. For more details on that, Joe Patrick, tell these kids what else they can do while at our Discord. I will. Are you looking for a new read? Do you have a question only a two headed nerd can answer? Have you got a hot take? Hot take. Sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments. Or you can call the THN hotline at 402-819-4894 and leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with your segment idea and topic, and we will put you on the show. If you're new to the show, related to Dennis Culver, and can't believe we couldn't remember the guy, I assure you we're sorry we deal with a lot of creators, and maybe you just haven't heard enough. You would know that we have memory problems. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our longtime patron, Jeremy Cushing. And let me tell you what. Jeremy Cushing does not put up with commercials. That guy throws a shitload of money at us to keep us commercial free, and we thank you for it, sir. If you like what you hear every week, it is easy to support the show, like Mr. Cushing. No relation to Peter, I don't believe. You can sign up yeah. to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our friend and the THN historian Jason Sachs, who recently spun his classic comics cavalcade podcast, into a video series on the U-Tubs. Jason and his pal Amir take an in-depth look at the best superhero comics of all time. And so it's not surprising that the first few episodes feature Jack Kirby and the coming of Galactus. Where do you, Jason and Amir? We'll link to your YouTube channel in this week's show notes. Wicked. I love it. I need more YouTube content. I was almost out. So... Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just devour your home planet. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off.